This morning we're going to be continuing our series in the Ten Commandments, looking at the Fourth Commandment, a sermon titled Freedom from the Daily Grind. Maybe some of you can relate to that. It's known as the most stressed out city in the world, Seoul, Korea. The workers in Seoul, Korea work more hours than any other place on earth. The average person last year in Seoul, Korea took eight days off the whole year. It also has the highest suicide rate in the world. The people of Seoul are known as workaholics. And it's in this unique situation that a new business is all the rage these days in Seoul, Korea. A new cafe. It's called the Green Lab Cafe, and it's a cafe where people go and they pay for complete solitude. You go and you pay this business for a time slot where you can go and sit and do absolutely nothing. You have to turn in your phone. There's no electronics allowed. There's no kids allowed. There's no talking allowed. They will give you a chair to sit in and do absolutely nothing. And friends, this business is packed seven days a week, 365 days a year, people paying good money to sit and do nothing. In Korean, they call it hitting mung. Hitting mung. In English, we would translate it as spacing out tuning out all the distractions of life. One patron of this business, the article I read this week, she says this, I've been so tired, I don't even have time to rest. After work, I go home, and I have to do housework, and then I barely have 30 minutes to an hour before I need to go to sleep. So with a space like this, I can actually focus on taking a break. Isn't that interesting? How many of us can relate Maybe not to the idea of paying somebody money to provide a space for us to simply sit and space out. But I think all of us can relate to that longing, that desire for rest, that desire for peace. And doesn't it seem so hard to find that? I was on vacation recently, and even on vacation, I was up in Door County, and I'm sitting out on this beautiful beach in this state park, and there's nobody around, and it's just gorgeous, pure solitude, and pretty soon, I realized I'm sitting on my phone answering emails for work. Even on vacation, it's hard to just experience rest. And this is exactly why God gave us the commandment we're going to be looking at this morning. The fourth commandment. It's a command that God gave for people burdened by the daily grind. It's a command that God in his grace has given to us. It's found in Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11. This is the fourth commandment. Now if you remember in our discussion of the Ten Commandments so far this summer, the first four commandments our, regard our relationship with God, right? So you should worship God alone, don't have any idols, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And then today is the fourth commandment. These are the commands that are uh, about our relationship to God. The next six commandments are in regards to our relationships with others, okay? So this is the last of the four commands relating to our obligations, our relationship to the Lord. 
Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, some of you right away are thinking, man, I sure picked the right day to make sure I'm in church. (laughs) Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. A day of rest, the Sabbath. Now, here's the thing. There's probably no command in not just the Ten Commandments, but maybe in all of Scripture that raises more questions in our minds or leads to more consternation than this command, the fourth commandment. Questions like, does God still expect us to keep the Sabbath? And if so, when should we honor the Sabbath? Saturday? The seventh day or Sunday, the first day? And what exactly does God expect from us on the Sabbath? Can I go fishing? Is it okay to go for a walk? Can Susie play in her softball tournament? What about cleaning the house? Can mom do the kids' laundry for Monday morning? Can dad mow the lawn this afternoon? What about when we're on vacation? Do we need to go to church? And what about this one? Can I skip church on Sunday morning if I have tickets for the 12 o'clock Vikings game? No! (laughs) I mean, maybe if you're in Lambeau, going to a game in Lambeau Field, but definitely not a 12 o'clock Vikings game. But, But all joking aside, right? I mean, these are the kinds of questions that this fourth commandment stirs up in us. And we wonder, what exactly does God want with this command? How do we answer these questions? And beyond these questions, here's the big one. Is it really possible to find true freedom and genuine rest in God's Sabbath command? Well, we're going to look at all of these issues together here this morning. And this morning, I want to talk about finding freedom and rest in God's Sabbath. And to find freedom and rest in God's Sabbath. And in this fourth command, we need to be able to, we need to do three things this morning. Number one, we need to recognize the origin of the Sabbath. We need to recognize the origin of the Sabbath. It all goes back to the beginning of where the Sabbath comes from. Now, this command, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, this command gives us the what. What are we called to do here? But it also gives us the why. Now, I want to start out looking at the what. It's found in verse 8. What is God calling us to? He says, remember. Now, we're going to tuck that word away for a second. Not for long, but I want you to just put that word off to the side. Remember, okay? Remember what? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, the word Sabbath here is obviously critical for us to understand. In Hebrew, the word is Shabbat. And Shabbat means to rest, to put an end to, to cease, all right? And so the Sabbath day can rightly be translated as the cease working day. 
okay? It's the cease working day. A lot of people make the confusion of thinking Sabbath means seventh. Sabbath doesn't mean seventh. It means to cease from or to desist. It is literally the cease working day. So in verse 8, we're called to remember the cease working day and keep it holy. The word holy here in the Hebrew is kadesh. It, It means to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be reserved for the Lord. So friends, we could literally paraphrase this command, the fourth command, as keep the, uh, make sure to remember uh, the cease working day by keeping it set apart for the Lord. Remember the cease working day by keeping it set apart for the Lord. Now I want you to notice two things here. Number one, this fourth commandment is calling us to cease from our labors And number two, this fourth commandment is calling us to reserve a special day for the Lord. Now, as we think about this, what this means for us, let's go back to that first word. Remember I told you, let's tuck this, this word away for a minute. Let's go back to that very first word, the remember, verse eight, remember. This word, remember, is the linchpin for this entire command. And it's what helps us understand why this command still matters for us today. What are we supposed to be remembering? God says to remember, okay? What are we remembering? We are remembering what God established at creation. Verse 8 gives us the what of the command. Verses 9 through 11 give us the why, okay? What are we remembering? God says this. Remember the Sabbath day, the cease working day. Keep it set apart to the Lord. Why? For six days, what else should you do? Six days you shall labor, okay? But why? He says, for in six days, verse 11, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, the cease working day, and made it holy, set apart, consecrated unto him. Okay? God tells us that we are to remember the Sabbath because the Sabbath was instituted by God all the way back at the beginning of creation. Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Here we find God's creation order for work and rest. Remember, God worked for six days creating, and then he rested on the seventh day. And this was God's pattern instituted at creation, a pattern that God set that he then passed on to his creation for his creation to keep following the pattern that God set. He establishes for us. Now, friends, let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered why we follow a seven-day week, why our calendars have seven-day weeks? Have you ever wondered where the seven-day week comes from? Okay, we, we know where, where the 24-hour day comes from, right? Where do we get the 24-hour day? The 24-hour day is the time it takes the earth to revolve around its axis, right? Okay, where do we get months from? Months generally follow the lunar cycle, okay? Where do we get years from? Years come from the 365 days that it takes the earth to revolve around the sun, right? We have, we have reasons, logical reasons, why all of those different aspects of our timekeeping we follow. But where does the seven-day come from? 
There's no logical reason in creation. The seven day comes from God. God instituted the seven-day pattern. It's why all of our calendars today follow a seven-day pattern. There's no other reason in the natural world for it other than our creator instituted it as the pattern for men and women to follow. It's the seven-day pattern. And God says you work six days and you rest on the seventh. Okay? This is a pattern that God set all the way back in the beginning. Now, this is important to understand. This seven-day pattern, the six days work, the one-day rest, this isn't a suggestion, okay? This is a creation norm, an ordinance given by God. It's a bedrock rule enshrined in God's moral law that he asks his creation to maintain. We are to work, and we are to set apart a day for rest, okay? This is a creation norm. It goes all the way back to the very beginning of creation. Now, I want you to recognize something. It's not just this that we honor because of God's creation work, but there's all kinds of norms that God sets in Scripture that go back to the very beginning, to creation. Okay, think about this. Why do we, why do we believe that there's only two genders, right? Because God says in the beginning he made them male and female, male and female he created them. There's only two genders, right? God created marriage. The man shall leave his family, unite to his wife. The two shall become one flesh, right? And they create a new family unit. So marriage and sex and family, all of those things go back to Genesis, all right? Stewardship of creation. Stewardship of creation goes back to Genesis. It's a creation norm. Work and Sabbath rest, just like all the rest, go back to creation, we work and then we rest. This was God's pattern established for human flourishing all the way back at the beginning of creation. And God has enshrined this particular command in the Ten Commandments for our good, for our flourishing. Okay, but these are all creation norms that go back to the book of Genesis. Now, friends, isn't it interesting? Think about this. You look at this list here this morning. Isn't it interesting how each of these creation norms, these rules for human flourishing, every single one of them is under attack in our culture today? Isn't that correct? Our culture today, God says there's only two genders. There's male and female. Our culture today, some in our culture recognize upwards of 80 different gender identities. God says marriage, one man, one woman committed for life. Right? But marriage, the institution of marriage is under attack in our culture today. Family is under attack in our culture today. Sexuality is under attack in our culture today. Stewardship is under attack in our culture today. Instead of being the stewards of creation, our culture tells us, no, we are to be the servants of creation. We bow down to Mother Earth in service of her, not as being stewards of creation as God calls us to. Work is under assault in our culture today. Sabbath rest is under assault in our culture today. All of God's creation norms. Now why is that? Why are these all under attack? Friends, they're all under attack because Satan knows if he can destroy the foundation, he can wreak havoc in every other area. 
And so Satan is working overtime today to assault God's creation norms for our lives, including the work rest pattern. You know, it's interesting, I read on social media all the time, all these, you know, conspiracy theories about what's going on in our world today, you know, socialism and the World Economic Forum and all. Like, friends, understand, those are things you should be concerned about, but those aren't the root issue. The root issue is we are facing today a demonically inspired assault on truth. That's our world's problem today. That's why all of God's creation norms are under attack today. There is a demonically inspired assault on truth. And the only hope for this world is to turn back to God and trust his word, including his creation norms, which he has given us, which he says lead to human flourishing. So number one, when it comes to finding true freedom and rest in the Sabbath, the first thing we need to understand is the origin. Where does it come from? It was a creation mandate given by God for our good. Now number two this morning, to find freedom and rest in God's Sabbath, we need to appreciate God's, obje- <coughs> excuse me, God's objectives for the Sabbath. God's objectives for the Sabbath. In other words, why did God give us the Sabbath? Now, here's the thing. When we turn to the Old Testament, we find five reasons. We find five reasons in the Old Testament why God gave the Sabbath, specifically first to the people of Israel, but I believe the Sabbath applies to us as well today. Why did God give the Sabbath? Number one, he tells us he gave it to give us rest. Okay. Now, we already talked about this, but this is foundational. It is the fundamental reason for the Sabbath. God worked six days and he rested on the seventh and then he gave us this pattern to follow in our lives for our good, for our well-being. Exodus chapter 23, verse 12, elaborating on this Sabbath command. Moses, speaking God's word, says, Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, that the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. This is just one example of numerous verses like this that speak to the reality of the rest that God desires for his creation through the Sabbath. And notice, it's not just the Israelites, the Jewish people, It's also their sons, their daughters, their animals, the strangers living in the land among them. God wanted rest for everyone, for all parts of his creation. It's very interesting. Remember, we just finished studying the book of Daniel this spring. And Daniel was the story of how the Israelites were sent into Exodus in Babylon as a result of God's judgment because they failed to honor God. Friends, do you know that one of the primary things that they failed to honor God in, we read this in Isaiah, we read this in Ezekiel, we read this in Amos, one of the primary things that led to their judgment was failing to honor God's Sabbath. Not only them as people, but their livestock and even the land, giving the land rest, all of these things, the Sabbath rest commanded by God. The Israelites had neglected the Sabbath, and it was one of the reasons that God led them into judgment. God desired that his creation have a period of rest. Why? Because he's a gracious God. And rest is for our good. It's for our well-being, for our flourishing. The second thing we find in Scripture, why did God give the Sabbath? To highlight his people's redemption. To highlight his people's redemption. Deuteronomy 
chapter 5, interesting passage. Here, Moses tells the Israelites, speaking about this fourth commandment, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day, the cease working day. Right? Here God says, why did I give the Sabbath day? I gave it so that you might remember your redemption. You were once slaves. And friends, how many days off do you think the Egyptians gave their slaves each week? Zero. For 400 years, they toiled under the oppression of the pharaohs in Egypt. And God says, I delivered you by my amazing grace and my sovereign power. I brought you out of slavery and I brought you to the promised land. And now I command you to rest. And every day when you have your Sabbath rest, you remember that you were once slaves. And God is your redeemer. And so Sabbath is about remembering God's redemption. The, the third reason why God gave the Sabbath was to provide time for people's worship. To provide an opportunity not only for rest, but for worship. What does God tell the Israelites that they're supposed to do on the Sabbath? Leviticus 23.3. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day, this is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. Do you know what a convocation is, friends? A convocation is a gathering of religious people for worship. That's what a convocation is. It's when God's people gather together for worship. God says that the seventh day, the Sabbath, is to be a holy con convocation. You're to gather together for worship. It's a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. What else does God tell us about this Sabbath day of worship? Numbers 28, 9 through 10. Numbers 28, 9 through 10 tells us this. On the Sabbath day, two male lambs, a year old without blemish, and two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour or grain offering mixed with oil, its drink offering. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. So now we also see not only are the people of God supposed to gather on the Sabbath, but they're supposed to bring their offering to the Lord on the Sabbath. All right, so the Sabbath we see is for rest. It's to remember that we've been redeemed out of slavery. It's to remember, number three, that we're to gather as God's people and bring him our offerings. These were all God's purpose for the seventh day, the Sabbath rest. Number four, God tells us that the Sabbath was given to teach his people trust to teach his people trust. Exodus 16:29, the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness. And Moses tells the people of Israel that you are to gather food, manna. Remember, God was providing this supernatural food, this manna from heaven to feed the Israelites as they were wandering in the wilderness. Moses says, look, it, you are to gather manna six days out of the week. But on the sixth day, you're to gather a double portion. Why? Because you're to rest on the seventh day. Don't go out looking for man on the seventh day. Gather double on the sixth day. Now, why was God commanding the Israelites to do this? He was commanding the Israelites to do this to teach them to trust him. Every day, God was providing for their needs. And on the sixth day, God says, you know what? Gather double and then rest on the seventh. Well, wait a minute, God. Won't we starve to death if we don't gather food on the seventh day? No, trust me, I'm going to give you enough on the sixth to make up for the seventh. 
And so God was teaching his people rest. He was teaching them what King David talks about in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the Sabbath was about people trusting God enough to say, I believe that you are my good shepherd and I'm going to trust you by ceasing from work, even just for one day a week, believing that even if I cease for work for the purpose of rest and worship, you're still going to provide for me, God. You're going to be faithful. God was teaching his people trust. The, the fifth reason God gave the Sabbath according to the Old Testament was to mark his people's special status to set them apart, to distinguish them from all the nations around them. Exodus chapter 31, 16 through 17 says this, Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign or a mark or a distinguishing characteristic between the Lord, me and the Lord, I'm sorry, me and the people of Israel, that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. The Sabbath was a sign distinguishing the Israelites. Friends, there was no other culture around that kept the Sabbath. There was no other culture around that ceased from their work on the seventh day. And so just imagine, here's Israel. They move into the land of Canaan. They're surrounded by all these pagan neighbors. And now all of a sudden, there's this people, and they're working hard all week. They're taking care of their fields. They're taking care of the livestock. And then all of a sudden, the seventh day rolls around. And all these Israelites are just resting. And they gather for worship together. But they're not in their fields. They're not working. Why? That was a sign to all the other people around that the Israelites were God's special people and that they were provided for by their Lord, taken care of by their good shepherd. And so here, friends, in the Sabbath, every seventh day, think about this, the Israelites would cease from work, they would gather for worship, remembering their salvation, trusting in their Lord, and displaying for all the world to see that they were his special people. These were God's objectives for the Sabbath. Now, friends, I want you to think about this list, right? These five reasons, okay? Rest, redemption, worship, trust, to signify our status, right? Think about these things. Do you think God still cares that we understand and appreciate these five reasons for the Sabbath today? Even as New Testament Christians, do you think those five reasons still matter to God? Absolutely. Those purposes for the Sabbath haven't changed one bit. God still desires us as Christians, followers of Jesus, to experience rest. He still wants us to remember our redemption, that we were slaves, and by his amazing grace, he has set us free. He still wants us to gather for worship, a holy convocation. He still wants to remind us to trust in him, that he is faithful, that when we rest, he will provide. And he still wants to set apart a holy people from the world, people signified that they are God's, people walking in faith and trust. All of these promises, all of these reasons for the Sabbath, they still matter. But this leads us back to those big questions again. Those same questions we asked earlier, right? Does God still expect us to keep the Sabbath on a particular day? 
If so, is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? Right? Can, can mom do some housework this afternoon? Can dad mow the lawn? Mom's shaking her head, nope. <laughs> right? Like, should the kids clean their rooms? Right? Is it okay to go play around the golf this afternoon? What if I got a project? I'm, I'm in the middle of staining my deck. Can I stain my deck today? Right? Like, we still have all of these questions. How do we answer these questions? Well, to help us answer these questions, friends, we need to consider point number three this morning. To find freedom and rest in God's Sabbath. Number three, we need to reflect on our observation of the Sabbath. We need to reflect on our observation of the Sabbath. Now, this is important to understand, okay? There are two equal and opposite errors that we can fall into when it comes to the Sabbath, okay? There's two equal and opposite errors. And these errors are these. You can either embrace a legalistic attitude about the Sabbath or a lazy attitude about the Sabbath, and they're both equally wrong. You can embrace a legalistic attitude or a lazy attitude. What is, what is legalism? Legalism is an over-application of God's law resulting from a works righteousness view of salvation. Now what does that mean? Works righteousness is the idea that we earn favor with God, we earn approval with God by how we live our lives and how we keep his rules. And if we do enough good stuff, God will be pleased with us. If we keep his commands faithfully, if we do all the right things and act all the right ways and say all the right words, right? If we do all the right stuff, God will bestow favor on us. That's works righteousness, that we are saved ultimately by what we do, not what God has done for us, right? So we have to strive, we have to work, we have to live the right way. And here's what legalism does. Legalism takes this works righteousness attitude and legalism looks at all of the commands of God and over applies the commands striving to honor God by keeping them, thinking that it's the keeping of these commands that saves us, that, that makes us right in God's sight. Now, now, how did this work out in biblical times? In the times of Jesus, there was a group of Jews known as the Pharisees. And the Pharisees based their view of salvation on works righteousness. Their idea was God's given us all these commands and if we just simply keep the commands faithfully, God will be pleased with us. But here's the thing. In order to make sure they were keeping these commands faithfully, the Pharisees over-applied the law. They added to the law to make sure they were doing just enough, right, to keep the law. And so they look at this command that says keep the Sabbath, and the Pharisees end up adding 1,500 plus rules related to the Sabbath to make sure that they honored the cease working day. So, for example, the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they said, look, at if you got a horsefly biting you, you don't shoo that horse fly away because that would be considered hunting and hunting is work. Okay? If you're walking out, if you're out walking, you're outside your house and you're out walking around, you can spit. But you can't spit in the dirt because if you spit in the dirt, that might make mud, that's mortar. Again, you're working. Okay? 
If you're a woman and you have false teeth, you're not allowed to put your false teeth in on the Sabbath day, according to the Pharisees' laws. Why? Because if you put your false teeth in, you're using a tool, and again, that's work. Ladies, if you're outside and you get a little spot of dirt, that mud that splashes up onto your dress, okay? The Pharisees said you have one opportunity to shake that mud off your dress, and if it doesn't come off, you just got to live with it the rest of the day because any more than that is considered work. And so they had 1,500 plus rules like this to make sure that they honored the Sabbath command. That's legalism, friends. That's an over-application of the command, of the law, thinking that by following it faithfully, they will earn favor with God. But understand, friends, the Pharisees had it completely backwards. And so Jesus comes along, Jesus who is the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus who is the God who gave the command for the Sabbath, Jesus comes along and Jesus says to the Pharisees, guys, you, you got this all wrong. The Sabbath wasn't, the, the, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Okay, you got it all backwards. This was not God's intention for this command. God gave this command to you as a gift of grace, for rest, for worship. And instead, what the Pharisees had done is the Pharisees had completely turned this thing on its head. They had turned the blessing of the Sabbath into a burden. They had turned God's rest into restrictions. And so Jesus comes and he restores a proper understanding of the Sabbath. But Jesus didn't just restore this proper understanding of the Sabbath. Jesus also inspired a whole new way that we honor the Sabbath. Friends, why do we worship on Sundays and not Saturdays? What's the sixth day? The Sabbath day historically was, the, was, was Saturday, right? But we worship on the first day of the week, Sunday. Why? Again, it's because of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus conquered sin, and he conquered death, and he conquered the grave through his resurrection. And it was because of the resurrection of Jesus that the early church started honoring the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus, on Sunday and not on Saturday. All right? It was all because of Jesus' resurrection. B.B. Warfield, he says this, Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him and brought the Lord's day out of the grave with him on the resurrection morn. And so Sunday became the new day of rest and worship for the early church. And everywhere we see the church gathering in the New Testament, in the, it's always on Sunday. And all throughout the first early centuries of the early church, whenever the church gathered for worship, it was always on Sunday. This was all because of Jesus. But even here, friends, we need to guard against legalism. Because we need to be careful about creating rules and standards about keeping the Sabbath, even on Sundays, that God never intended. The Apostle Paul is very helpful on this point for us. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the very same God again who gave us the fourth commandment, Paul tells us in Romans 14, 5 through 6, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. 
The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. What's Paul getting at? Paul is saying, as Christians, we have liberty in Christ in terms of our keeping of the Sabbath. And some people are going to be convicted in their spirit to honor one particular day as the day of rest. Others might view it differently. And Paul says that's okay because we have liberty. Don't turn this into a legalistic burden. That's not what it was about. Okay, how how many of you guys like Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A, all right? I love Chick-fil-A. All right, And there have been many times on the weekend after church, my wife and I are down in Roseville, we're doing our grocery shopping or whatever, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I could just go for a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A right now. And I start heading over to Chick-fil-A, I get to the drive-in, and the place is a ghost town. Chick-fil-A is not open on Sundays. Why is that? Why is Chick-fil-A not open on Sundays? It's because the founders of the company, the Kathy family, they are Christians, and they were convicted about opening their business on Sunday, the Sabbath day. They believe that that should be a day of rest. Now, were they right in that decision? It was right for them, but it may not be right for another Christian business owner. And that's totally okay. Because it's about our conviction before the Lord. We have freedom in Christ on this matter. Let let me give you another illustration. Many of you guys know I teach every year over in Maui for uh, Youth with a Mission. This past winter, we were, my family and I, we were over in Maui together. Uh, we went a couple days early to enjoy the weekend before I had to teach the whole week. And Sunday morning, we're out on Kanapali Beach in Maui. And it was a beautiful sunny day. I mean, like 80 degrees, the waves were just gently rolling in. I'm laying there on the sand, just like soaking up God's glorious creation, just beautiful. My kids are playing in the waves. All of a sudden, I notice about 100 yards down the beach, this this group of people starts gathering. And they bring out some speakers. And pretty soon, I start hearing music playing, guitars and different instruments. And and pretty soon, 100-some people, they're singing there on the beach. And it turns out it's a beach church. And all these people are gathering there in Kanapali Beach and they're worshiping Jesus. Now, friends, here's the question. As I'm laying on my beach towel soaking up the sun, are those people more spiritual than me because they're worshiping and I'm laying out in the sun? Well, they might be, but it's not because they're worshiping at the beach that morning. (laughs) All right? It had nothing to do with that. Right? What does Paul tell us on this matter? Colossians 2, 16 through 17. Paul says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What is Paul saying here? Friends, Paul is saying simply this. True Sabbath is about finding rest in a relationship with Jesus. The Sabbath laws were simply shadows pointing us to the true rest to come when God's Messiah would come and provide us with a right relationship with our Creator God, with true rest. This is why Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Friends, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. 
And so when it comes to worshiping on a Sunday, when it comes to working on a Sunday, when it comes to choosing to worship or not when you're on vacation, as Christians, we have freedom in Christ in those choices. One person may be convicted one way, another person may be convicted another way, but we should not hold our brothers and sisters in Christ to a standard that God doesn't hold us to. God says Sabbath rest is about having a right relationship with him through Jesus. And however God leads you then to exercise your faith on the Sabbath, you have freedom and liberty in those choices. Now, here's the thing. If legalism is one error we can fall into, then the opposite error that we can fall into is laziness about the Sabbath. And friends, if I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think our issue as modern-day Christians is legalism as much as it is the laziness, right? I don't think our problem is not keeping the Sabbath too much. I think our issue tends to be not keeping the Sabbath enough if we're being honest about it. Chuck Swindoll, he has this great quote about the Sabbath. He says, we have become a generation of people who worship our work, who work at our play, and who play at our worship. Isn't that accurate? I think it is. I was meeting with a group of pastors recently, and some of the older gentlemen, we were talking about the trends that they had seen over the course of their ministries. It was very interesting. I, I, I jotted some notes down. Some of these older pastors, they talked about how in the 1950s to about the 1980s, the average Christian's attendance pattern with church was three to four times a week. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, maybe a weekend gathering, right? And then about 1980 to, to the 2000s, right, the era that I grew up in with church, The average Christian attended church about three times a week. That was kind of my pattern growing up. We did church Sunday morning. Oftentimes we'd go back Sunday evening or for sure I'm there Wednesday night for youth group and then maybe a weekend activity. That was just the norm. And then the millennium came along, the turn of the millennium, and then attendance patterns changed for about that 20-year period. The average Christian attended church two to three times a month. Not a week, a month. That was considered regular church attendance. Friends, you know what's happened in the last three years? In 2023, do you know that the surveys tell us that a committed churchgoer is considered to be someone who attends church once a month? Friends, I can't imagine that's what God has in mind for us when he calls us to keep the Sabbath set apart to the Lord. This is why passages like Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 tell us, consider how to stir one another up in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, the habit, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near, as you see the return of Christ drawing near. Gather together, worship together, stir one another up in love and good works. Now, again, we need to be careful about how we hold each other, what standards we hold each other. We don't want to fall into legalism. But man, again, if we're falling into anything, I think it tends to be laziness. And remember, God's purpose is for this. God gave the Sabbath for our good. We weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. 
for rest, for worship, to remember God as our redeemer, right? To set us apart, to teach us trust, all of these things. And friends, we ignore the Sabbath at our own peril. It reminds me of the story of the woman I heard recently who, who neglected to get her oil changed in her car. She, she saw her window sticker and she saw that, you know, I, I'm due for an oil change and she drew, drove by the Valvoline place and she said, ah, I can get by another thousand miles. Thousand miles go by, she drives by the Valvoline place again, you know, and she says, ah, I got better things I can spend my money on today. A couple of weeks go by, the check engine light starts flashing on our car. Oh, it's just a check engine light, I'll be okay. Day later, Oh, it's just a little smoke coming up from underneath my hood. <laughs> what foolishness. But friends, how often do we treat our physical and emotional and spiritual well-being the very same way? By ignoring God's provision for Sabbath rest in our lives. Friends, we need to guard against both legalism and laziness, but God has given us the Sabbath for our good. God has given us a day, a day for enjoying him, for praising him, for celebrating his many blessings in our lives, blessings like church and family and friends and recreation in his creation. What a gift. How freeing. God has invited us into Sabbath rest. The question that we need to ask ourselves is, will we honor him by taking full advantage of it? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your gracious gift of Sabbath rest. And Jesus, I just pray right now that we would not see your Sabbath rest as a burden, Lord, but rather see it for what you intended it to be, a blessing in our lives, an opportunity for us at the end of the week of, of stress and work and busyness, to have a day where we can truly rest, where we can worship you, where we can enjoy the wonders of your creation, and, and, and mostly where we can enjoy the gift of salvation that we have through your son, Jesus Christ, the one who is our true rest. Jesus, we thank you for the Sabbath rest that's available in you. I pray, God, if there's anybody here this morning who's here today, and they're just tired, and they're longing for rest. I pray that they would take Jesus' word, Matthew 10, 28, that we saw earlier, and they would trust that Jesus truly is the one who can provide them rest. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus, I pray that there would be nobody here who misses out on the rest that's found in you. And Lord, give us Give us wisdom in our own lives, Lord, about how we honor this fourth commandment. Guard us from the error of legalism and over-application of this commandment, even applying this commandment to our brothers and sisters in Christ in ways that you never intended it to be applied. Lord, help us to guard us against that error, but Lord, also guard us against the temptation to laziness because there's something important that happens when we rest in you and when we trust in you and when we gather for worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ to honor you. So Lord, we just pray that you would help us find that good balance, that healthy balance. And we thank you that you are a gracious God who gives your people rest. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, would you stand for our benediction this morning? 
Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, friends.